Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Many, many moons ago, when I was 18, I moved to Tallahassee and started classes at FSU. I was on my own for the first time, living in a dorm on campus, having to choose to go to church and making up my own mind, with training wheels, of course. And that's where I first met Brother Jed. Now, Brother Jed is a self-proclaimed confrontational evangelist who shows up on college campuses with hateful signs telling sinners to repent. However, his definition of sin is quite broad, including everything from rock and rollers to those who use certain feminine hygiene products. And Brother Jed keeps a tight schedule, hitting almost every college or university in all 50 states for just a few days a year, usually holding inflammatory signs such as listing sins or one that simply says, you deserve hell. I saw Brother Jed every year I was at FSU, and even once while I was at seminary at Swanee. Brother Jed and his wife's sister Cindy provoke all sorts of reactions from those walking past, from kissing the nearest person nearby, whether it might be male or female, to shouting out Bible verses to counteract Brother Jed's messages of hate. Some college students even bring their own signs, ranging from corduroy skirts are a sin, to you deserve love. I think my question for Brother Jed now is the same as it was when I was 18, seeing him on a college campus for the first time. How does shaming college students help bring people to Christ? Jesus sent us out to spread the good news, but Brother Jed's warped sense of legalism is not good news to me, and it certainly wasn't good news to the other college kids around me. In fact, it seemed to actively repel others from God. But it seems like this fundamentalist form of Christianity has taken over. Fundamentalism is the strict, rigid adherence to the basic tenets of a religion or grouping of beliefs. And there's a reason why fundamentalism is flourishing. Honestly, it's just easier. It is easier to have someone tell you what to do, for you to check all those boxes, And to be assured you are going to be rewarded in this life or the next. It is easier to be able to say, I can do this list of things and be right or good or worthy. It is easier to not have to struggle with morality or ethics or one's own conscience. Here are the right answers. And I just have to regurgitate them on the final exam. And it feeds into our own ego, our sense of pride. To think that we are one of the good ones. One of those who has earned our way into heaven. And this is not new. In fact, it has been condemned as heresy before. Pelagius was a British monk and theologian who lived in the 5th century. And he preached that human beings had the free will to choose whether to be good or bad. And it is these choices that would ultimately decide whether they would be saved or condemned, not the grace of God. 
He argued that if man just tried hard enough, if he had enough willpower, he could just avoid sin altogether. Man could save himself. Pelagius was denounced as a heretic. But this is an attitude you'll still see around the church today. The idea that we can act in a way that will save or will condemn us. That certain boxes must be checked. That there is a great accountant in the sky keeping track of our good deeds or our sins. This is heresy. And it's still a pervasive attitude in our church. An attitude that trusts in mere mortals to save ourselves. But this is not good news. This is not gospel. Because as Paul points out today in his letter to the Romans, following the law at all times is impossible. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. If we have to follow the law to righteous ourselves, and it is impossible to follow the law at all times, what hope is there for us mere mortals? Well, Paul points to the solution to this problem as well. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the good news of the gospel. We are not able to righteous ourselves. We can never be good enough or holy enough to escape the wages of sin, death. But thanks to the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ, we do not have to. The price has been paid. The sacrifice has been made. And this is the good news we are supposed to be telling people about. We are not supposed to travel around shaming people into following our very narrow definition of what being a Christian looks like. We should not be tying an anchor to baby Christians and demanding they swim. We are not to lay the full weight of the law on their shoulders. This is not Christ-like. Instead, we should be following Christ's example when he tells people, Come to me. All you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are supposed to be telling them, that they, too, deserve the love of God in their lives. They, too, can have a community of people that helps them carry their burdens. They, too, can have Jesus walk alongside them in this life and the next. What would it look like if we, as Christians, spread the message of love and hope and joy instead of hate and shame and judgment? How much more would the good news spread if we read Paul through the lens of Jesus instead of Jesus through the lens of Paul? How could this world be changed if we focused on grace instead of law? If we live our lives differently as Christians, it is in response to this grace freely given, not in order to earn it.
And the way we live out our discipleship is done in community. It looks different for each person, and it utilizes whatever gifts the Holy Spirit has given us. God created us each so differently in order to enrich the kingdom, not so we could all try to follow the same model of discipleship. Not all of us are cut out to be monks or nuns or priests or itinerant preachers, but all of us are called to bring the good news into this world as only we can. The author Maya Angelou had a wonderful quote that I think of often. At the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did, but they will remember how you made them feel. People may not remember what we as Christians said or did, but they will always remember how our message made them feel. Are we as Christians making them feel hated or shamed or judged? Are we making them feel heavy, weighed down, or lesser than? Or are we telling them, come with me, you who are wearied and carrying heavy burdens, and we will introduce you to the one who loves you unconditionally, You are not alone. We will help you carry your burdens. There is hope. And in God, you will find rest. Fear can only make us do just enough to escape the threat. And for far too long in this country, since the great enlightenment and John Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, we have been too reliant on fear or guilt or shame to get people to convert. But the promises of grace, of healing, of rest in this life and in the next, those are the messages that will draw people into relationship with Christ. Those are the messages that will transform people's souls, that will convert those around us. And those are the messages we should be putting on signs and marching around college campuses. Amen.